This is Pamela Fagan Hutchins, the one that's messing things up this morning. This isn't the first thing. And you've reached Wine, Women, and Writing. And this is a video cast and podcast where I, lucky author, get to talk to and play the fangirl with authors that I love to read. And I, I really love to focus in on authentic, complex female characters. And we have been known in this show to lapse into oversharing, irreverence, <coughs> you know, whatever, um, whatever it is that happens today, we will just, uh, we'll just, that's right. So I'm coming to you from Wyoming. Um, my, at least I, my body is not my brain yet. I'm coming to you from Wyoming where we're in our cabin and, uh, it's lovely. I hope it is in your neck of the world too. If you'd like catch up on past shows, you can go out to PamelaFaganHutchins.com where you'll see the links to the podcasts and the video casts. And you can also see the upcoming shows and read ahead so that you'll have read the book when I have the book club conversation with the author. And you can also check out some of my mysteries that are there. I'm about to put a new one up on pre-order that I turned into the copy editor this weekend. So yay, we're pretty excited. <laughs> and we're also very excited because I have on the show today, Louise Jensen and Louise writes psychological thrillers. And the one that I recently enjoyed was The Date. So Louise, welcome to my crazy show that started funky this morning. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's early there for you, isn't it? It is early for me. I am in what's called the mountain time zone, which um, is, oh gosh, two, two hours earlier than what we think of as the East Coast or where the bulk of our our U.S. population is time zone. So I'm I'm still drinking coffee. You, you're on the tail end of this. You're wrapping up your day. We're heading into dinner. I'll be on the wine soon. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So you guys, when Louise and I were chatting yesterday, she was saying, is this video? And I said, yes. And she said, oh, good. I don't want to be on my pajamas. And I thought, well, wouldn't that be the best show? We could just call it a pajama party. <laughs> And she said, only if there was wine. <laughs> That's how I write generally. <laughs> well, you know, to write some of the stuff that you write, which is creepy awesome, right? I mean, it's it's um, playing into some of our worst fears and the yeah. things that we can't even think of to be scared of. I would think you'd have to have a stiff drink to come up with, with some of this stuff. <laughs> or after you've written it, you need one to run up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Where in the world are you and what time of day is it where you are since most of my watchers and listeners are US based? I'm in a county called Northamptonshire in the UK and that's right in the middle of England so you can kind of access everywhere quite easily because we're pretty small over here. And that's, pretty, that's pretty handy. Where I am you can't get to anywhere <laughs> without a six hour or 10 or 11 hour driver or a flight. So um, it's on my wish list to visit that part of the world when my husband retires. May that be soon. Oh, yeah. Yay, hopefully. <laughs> and so you write straight up psychological thrillers. What got you into that type of writing? Well, I wrote the, my debut, The Sister, was supposed to be a love story. Um, I started writing because I had an accident and I spent a long period of time in a wheelchair and I was quite depressed and had nothing really to fill my time. And I'd always wanted to be a writer, but kind of was told at school it wasn't a very good option career wise. So, um, so yeah, I just started to write a story to take my mind off my own problems, really, about Grace and Charlie. And it was supposed to be a love story, but there was quite a dark element to it. 
And uh, when I'd finished the book and read it back, I realised that it was the dark element I found the most interesting as a reader. So I decided to kind of develop that and, and kind of lose a bit of the love story. So, yeah, that kind of set me on the road to thrillers. <laughs> well, as, as I mean, I'm very sorry for what you went through. And also for you that you made lemon lemonade out of the lemons so yeah. to speak <laughs> and that you did something so crazy as write a love story that turned into a creepy psychological thriller that's awesome <laughs> I think because I was having a bad time I wanted my characters to suffer a bit more than they were <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> if I'm suffering you're going to suffer too yeah. so now you you then think though if if that's how a love story comes out for you it must be terrifying for the people that you love like oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've just had a short story published in an anthology about a woman and her husband and my husband's just read it and went Oh my God, I'm a bit afraid. <laughs> <laughs> he has a few over him in the night with, you know, yeah. you know some kind yeah. of creepy knife or something. Well, I still think that's pretty fabulous. And with respect to um, the date, mm. how did this one come about? Because you'd already at that point, it's your fourth one? It's your fourth yeah. published uh, full-length psychological thriller? Yeah. So it how is. did it come about? Uh, I watched a, um, a children's channel with my kids and they feature documentaries on children that have a particular challenge and that week featured a girl called Hannah Reed who was 13 and she'd had a virus and it went into her brain just from a cold sore just a regular virus and as she woke up the next day and she couldn't recognize anybody she couldn't recognize herself or her family um, and it's called prosopagnosia face blindness and there's no cure for it and the documentary followed her journey really of how she learned to cope with that condition and how terrifying life was for her because everybody looks like a stranger. And, um, and her story really stayed with me. It really moved me both as a mother and kind of thinking, how would you feel if your child couldn't recognize you? But how would you feel if you couldn't recognize anybody else? And, and then as a writer, I started to think, what if somebody was stalking you and they were after you, but you can't differentiate between faces. So you never know if that person is even standing right next to you. You know, how terrifying a concept is that? It it was, uh, first of all, uh, to your point about as a mother with a child like that, I'd never even heard of something like that until I'd read your book. And it would be absolutely terrifying. But mm. as for a thriller, I found it really fascinating because I read a lot of books with unreliable narrators, you know, where you're, yeah. you're you have a narrator and there's some sometimes contrivance where the narrator becomes unreliable and they make me really angry. To tell the truth, I'm I am a I am a person that's pretty harsh about is this unreliable narrator something I can buy? Mm-hmm. Yours over the top, awesome. Of course you can buy that. All of a sudden, the fact that this person isn't a reliable witness to the world around them is terrifying instead of irritating. And it was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. So I had to say that right off the bat. I thought that was a killer idea. <laughs> Thanks. I hate for that 13-year-old girl that that's how you found out about it, is that it's real and it happens to people. But in this case, give us a setup for um, for those that haven't read it. And shame on you guys if you hadn't, because it's been posted on my website for a month or so now. But if you haven't, you'll want to catch up with us because it really is good, as you can tell. I really enjoyed it. But give them a setup for the book, a little teaser. Yeah, well, it, it starts off with Ali, who's my main character, and she has separated from her husband and she's living with her friend and her best friends decide she should start dating again and she's not really very keen on it, but she meets this 
man kind of through a dating app really and they start chatting online and she really likes him so they go on a date and then the book starts immediately after that that first date where she wakes up um, with a head injury which has caused face blindness she's covered in blood her best friend is missing and she has no idea what's happened to her Anna it is it is crazy because I'm in the first scene she like looks in the mirror in that first moment where she's disassociating, like, who is that person I'm looking at? And mm. you don't yet know what's going on. It's, it's really, really compelling. I Thank love you. It. it was quite difficult to write because I wanted to get the emotional side of it right. I felt a lot of compassion towards Hannah and I wanted to get her story right. And I was quite lucky that after I finished the book, I tracked down her mum and, um, you know you you, your daughter's inspired this documentary and would you like to read the book and see if you like it before I publish it and make sure it's a true representation of kind of what your family have felt and um, and she said well let's let's let Hannah read it as well because she's 21 now (laughs) Um, so yeah all of her family read it and they're really pleased because they're trying to raise awareness of the condition all the time because um, it obviously it makes Hannah's life very difficult explaining it each time and, over and so over. many people haven't heard of it. So, yeah, yeah, they, they help me realize that, you know, the emotional impact as well. It's so um, were they able to provide feedback on, you know, how she copes and, and gets along in, in life or had you nailed it? Had you already done had you done? No, they, they said I'd nailed it. I did a lot of research and I did speak to a lot of people, but um, yeah, yeah, they were happy with it. <laughs> it was interesting to me that, you know, at first it was so devastating to her and everything mm-hmm. became scary and unfamiliar, but that she started figuring out ways to um, figure out, you know, get her bearings who mm-hmm. people were by their footsteps or smells or the way that their, you know, she, she would cue in on other parts of their body instead of their faces to try to mm-hmm. figure out who they were. And it was a mystery within a mystery because every interaction with her was mm-hmm. a mystery as well as underlying was the mystery of what happened to her overall. So every single scene became fraught with that tension and that mystery. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Hannah said that's what it's like because people think, oh no, well, I'd recognize my husband or somebody, but she could be right in front of her mum and not recognize her because hair always looks the same kind of, she, she has a bit problem recognizing hair as well. So unless people have, you know, her friend started to wear an accessory in her hair and that's how she would then recognize her friend and you know, or if you wear a certain colour, you know, say, you know, I'm going to wear a red tie and then she would know who it was. But otherwise, it's very, very hard. But yeah, everybody has a distinct smell and perhaps their tone of voice. But it's still, we take away somebody's features and sometimes their hair. It's it's really difficult. <laughs> yeah. When you think about how you write things, you know, when you do descriptions, a lot of times we describe facial features and hair. And, you know, it's just an automatic that that's what we go to to differentiate people. Mm -hmm. Think of how traumatic, too, for the people that just have trouble understanding and, and, and accepting that it isn't personal, that this person not recognizing or remembering them is not about you don't love me or you don't care about me enough. It's they absolutely can't. So there's so much emotion in this condition as well, you know, about other people's feelings as well as your own. So, yeah, I didn't realize how common talk about there's a, there's a big percentage of the population that has face blindness to different degrees. You can be 
you know, you can perhaps not be able to place a face instantly or put a name to a face. And that can be a form of face blindness, just not as severe as Hannah's case. That's interesting. And, you know, I've always been somebody that was good with faces and names. And because of that, I'm very aware when other people aren't and realize now how insensitive I have been to the fact that some people do not actually connect in their brain to their eyes, what I'm connecting. Yeah. And that that's, that's just the same as if they couldn't run as fast or throw a ball as far or whatever yeah. it is. It's yeah. different physiology. So. Yeah, it's that, that part of the brain. And that's responsible for other things like map reading. So often those people aren't great at reading maps. And, you know, there's other things as well that comes along with that. Very, very cool. So now <laughs> to step back a bit. So mm-hmm. Louise had um, some wonderful success with her books, um, over a million sold of her first four. So congratulations on that. USA Today bestseller, Wall Street Journal bestseller, speaking the language of this of those of us on my side of the pond. And so really fabulous accolades. And I believe that number three has been optioned for TV film. Is that correct? It has. Yeah, but it's it's a long road. So my agent keeps telling me not to get excited. So but I believe they've just finished the script. That's um, fantastic. Now they're trying to get the finance. So I, I have my fingers crossed, but you, you never know. But it, it's great yeah. that it's this far. <laughs> That's what you have to key on is that so many people never get, you know, that moment that you're having now. If you make it all the way to the other moments, it'll be even more incredible. But regardless, <laughs> congratulations, because it's a pretty big step. And now right. the next one is coming out not how how long from now is it uh, in the UK it's out in four weeks called the family okay uh, my next paperback with you will be the gift the one that's just been optioned and that's coming out with you next spring awesome so, yeah. and so so with you and and in your writing process you're obviously already have one that's boom ready to go out the gates are you working on now a number six in the yeah I'm working on the book for next year which is about three sisters and it's yeah it's almost finished it's yeah I'm really pleased with that but (laughs) you know as a writer that you go through that that whole range of emotions with a manuscript where you love it and then you hate it and you think it's really good and you think it's terrible so (laughs) I'm at a good stage at the moment (laughs) that's that's a good thing to be at a good stage because it can be awfully depressing (laughs) you have the idea this is going to be fabulous you do the outline you're like this will never happen you write the first draft it stinks you do the second draft you're like this is wonderful and then you go back and read it one more time you're like I can't turn this in terrible but it sounds like you're on kind of a domestic um, psychological thriller street, just from the titles, the family and the sisters, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which again, you must have you, everyone in your household must, must be thinking, what? We got to watch out for mom. <laughs> <laughs> I think my children are definitely seeing me in a different light. <laughs> <laughs> How old are your kids? Um, my youngest is 13 and my eldest is 25. And we've got one of 21. So the old, oh, oldest is old enough to have read your stuff and really be creeped out. Like, yes. who are you? You're not you're <laughs> the woman that raised me. Yeah. <laughs> but must be so proud of you. Yeah, yeah, they are. It's nice. <laughs> when did your when did your writing journey start? When was the first one? Um, um, I, I wrote my first book at seven years old. <laughs> <laughs> Your baby is seven. <laughs> I illustrated it and I sellotaped it together and I sold it for 50p. So 
It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, now, with um, with your writing, are you somebody that writes? Um, are you a? Do you have your spot? Your one office? Your go- yeah that yeah. you cubby up in, or you move around? No, I pretty much. I have a lot of structural damage to my spine from my accident, so uh-huh. I have to have my chair set up correctly and my desk at the right height and. So I have to, you know, work somewhere that's been set up for me. I couldn't go and work in coffee shops and, and things. So, yeah. I mean, it's good is- and bad. You spend a lot less on fancy coffee that yeah. way. But <laughs> it is it is a little bit more restricting. But yeah. uh, it's nice that you have a space where creativity has a home, too. There's something about I've had a success in this spot. It's like a lucky penny. I can yeah. come back to this spot and I can do it again. This yeah. is where good stuff happens. We hope. <laughs> <laughs> so do you work with a critique group or have any special people or other writers that are um, in the journey with you? Um, yeah, I mean, I've got, I've met a lot of writers on Twitter, actually. Twitter's got an amazing writing community. And there's, you know, a couple of writers that got signed around the same time that I did. So we've kind of been through our journeys together. So we chat most days. It's quite isolating, as you know. Um, yes. Writing when you're on your own, kind of for hours on end. So, yeah, it's nice to have that support network. I think social media is great for bringing people together. Yeah, we could become kind of hermits, don't we? You know, in yeah. our cocoon. And I don't know about you, but I find that it affects my moods. I'm in whatever mood the book is in. You know, my main character yeah. primarily. Yeah hard to live with artificially happy or artificially sad and so it's nice to be able to reach out to people who kind of get that yeah yeah I think it's difficult sometimes for my family to understand because they don't read either really so they don't you know you get so engrossed don't you in your characters that you you kind of become them you have to think like them or you wouldn't be able to write I'm sorry Louise but for you that is scary so or or unless your character that you're becoming of course is Allie and then it's just scary for you. She's not doing scary things. Scary things are happening to her. <laughs> but, um, my family, yeah. my, uh, my kids don't read any of my books either. And it's really, it's like living in this weird world where you have this other identity and you have this profession. They don't kind of, they kind of don't get, you're just mom to them or money bags or whatever it is where all my kids are adults. So I'm looking at them now going, you know, <laughs> they're always like, um, you know, when they call that they need something, right? Sometimes yeah. it's just, they need a little love. <laughs> so I'll be nice now, but they don't read it and get other people do. And so it's like, sometimes strangers know more about what's going on inside you than those closest to you do, because that book is so much a part of who you yeah, were. At the time. Yeah. It's all kind of crazy. And so with respect to um, the what's coming up next, when can those of us in the U.S. get a copy of uh, The Family? When's it going to be available? I am not sure. It's coming out with Grand Central, who are my publishers now, and they will be bringing it out next year. So it's slightly behind the UK, but we're still waiting for a firm publication date from them. So, okay. So we'll keep watching for that. We've got plenty to read. (laughs) We've got plenty to read in the meantime, because she has four out. And, um, and so I'm, I'm challenging you guys to run the table and read all of them before um, the family Mm -hmm. comes out. Now with, um, with your books, do you find that you ever are drawing on your real life experiences or is it more primarily 
outside stimuli, like you mentioned that the date was inspired a lot by learning about this condition through Hannah's documentary, but you ever find yourself pulling scarily from real life? Definitely. I think, I think emotionally that the gift, the one that's been optioned that will be out with you next spring um, is about a girl that needs a heart transplant. And it's about the concept that hearts can retain memories from the donor so she starts to have dreams of the donor's murder and she sets out to find who murdered her. Um, and I haven't been through that, but um, she's, she's in her 30s and she has this life changing condition, having this transplant and having to take medication for the rest of her life and having the side effects. And she feels really set apart from her boyfriend and the, her family. And she feels like a burden. And it's kind of all her feelings are the feelings that I felt after my accident. So right. I found that book quite therapeutic, really. I kind of worked through a lot of emotional stuff. there. Did it start out that you really related to it in that way? or did you get into it and realize how resonant yeah, it would be with you? Yeah, I didn't know it would be like that. But as I was writing, there's a, a right at the beginning of the book, she leads her boyfriend because she says, I don't want you to be with me. I want you to go and be with somebody healthy. And that was exactly the same conversation that I had with my husband. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's a lot of parallels here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that must, well, and now I really want to read that book because you know, when you can approach something with that much authenticity and that much depth, it's no wonder that one's been optioned. It sounds really wonderful. Thank you. Now with you digging in deeper, and I bet I know the answer to this one already, but then is there a, a book that you relate to most closely that is most resonant with who you are? Would it be the gift for that reason or I think possibly the gift and the surrogate as well. I think that's a book about a woman that's just longing to have a baby. And although I've got three children, I'd always planned four, but after my accident, I couldn't carry a child. So a lot of my feelings, all my books, I think, are therapy for me. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of my feelings went into that as well. So yeah, I think they're all quite personal looking at them. Yeah. So if you were to pick a, it's kind of like picking a favorite child. Is there a favorite character or scene or book that you've written? One where you just like, just want to hug that moment and say that, that thing I wrote right there. I love that. Is there, do you have that? Yeah, I think Cat in the surrogate was my most unexpected character. I think when I decided to write a book about surrogacy, my sister said, that's going to be so predictable. And I said, no, I'm going to write a story that you're never going to expect. <laughs> um, a lot of twists in it. And Kat took it in a really different direction to what I was expecting. And in the last paragraph, there's this huge twist that I hadn't seen coming. <laughs> and when I just thought, oh, you're, she's the most interesting character, I think, that I've written. So do, okay, so to the idea of, so here, if you guys caught that, Louise has written all the way through this book, and in the last paragraph, her character surprises her, and uh, and are you a pantser, or are you a plotter? Do you plot your books out, or do you just no, let the character take I, I, I've tried, I have all these books on how to plot a novel, and how to write a novel, and I've read them all, and I just, my brain just doesn't think that far ahead, I can't, I've stressed myself out so much trying to plan books that now I just write them, and I don't write in order, if scenes come to me, I just write them, sometimes I'll write the end first, and Mm -hmm. at the end, I just stitch it all together, so it works for me, it's quite a stressful way to work, and I wish sometimes that I could outline, but um, yeah, I'm not wired that way. Do you find that on the second draft that you are moving things around and trying to take what you've written and create something that matches some of the things that you've um, 
read and learned, or do you get to the end and feel like somehow it all happened and that it's yeah it's become the thing it needed to be? Um, I find some authors that will say, "Oh yeah, I use that whole beats and outline thing, but I do it on round two. You know, I, I basically look at it, take a step back, and superimpose my will on the wild maelstrom of words I've created. What's what what works for you? Well, I'm, I do what you're supposed to never do. And I edit as I go along because I like my sentences to be beautiful before I move <laughs> on. And if I think of something that's going to change or something to add or take out, I go back and do it before I move on. So by the time I get to the end of my first draft, I'm usually happy enough with it to send it straight to my agent. So that's I, I fantastic. do different rounds. So, so it just take, you do all of your drafts at once. It's, I it's, do. It takes longer, but I just... You know, there's no right or wrong way is that no. for not writing. And I think that's, I worried a long time about what the rules were and what I was doing wrong. But, you know, it, it works for me. <laughs> it, you, it's it's interesting because it's like the more you learn about writing, what you're learning are, are rules, right? But mm-hmm. rules are things that when you know what they are, you can break. Because then you break them knowing that what you have gets you to the same place in your way. It's like grammar or anything. You you know it so that you can decide, eh, that one's not for me. I love yeah. wrong sentences. Go away, you rule about subject <laughs> verb, you know, or whatever it is. And I feel that way about outlining and beats and drafts and rewrites that every writer's got to find their jam, you know, what works for them. And mm-hmm. the result speaks for itself, right? You either yeah. come up with something that is compellably readable or you don't. Yeah. And you do. I think every book is different as well. Do you find that, that each approach to each, you know, each story is kind of written in a different way? I do. Sometimes I'll have a character that's so strong that they they won't be denied and you just sit down and you start going. And other times I will have an idea that is is so painful that I can't get it started. And then I'll resort to trying to put outlines together and things like that to see if it'll help propel me forward. And I don't end up with a different result, if that makes sense. I end up, I write the books that I write and I end up with another mystery with romantic elements. And I'm bet that you end up with psychological thriller elements, no matter what you do. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. You know, go ahead. I was going to say, I think the stories just end up what they're meant to be, however you write them, don't they? They kind of feel very natural, I think, when they come together. I do, too. I do, too. Well, of of um, of all of the careers that you could have picked for yourself, is writer the one that you see taking? Is this is this it for you? Is this what you love doing? Um, or like, is, yeah. yeah? It is I wanted to be a ballerina, but... <laughs> a bit old for that and I couldn't do it um, yeah I think definitely something with book I, I edit for people as well sometimes I do some mentoring for new writers and I love stories so who knows in the future I might move more into editing or I don't know but at the moment I, there's a lot of stories I want to write still and, and while I'm enjoying it so much definitely it's, keep on with it. it's crazy sometimes how you write a story and what it makes you want to write is three more and you until finally you're yeah. like go away. I can't get to you. Leave me alone. I have to focus on this one. Go away. 
<laughs> I was talking with an author um, a few months ago, Kate Quinn, and she's written some lovely historical fiction books. And she was talking about, you'll be riding along and then the Alexander Skarsgård of ideas comes along and says, put your manuscript down, write me instead. And you have to be very strict and stay true and not cheat on your manuscript, even though it's Alexander <laughs> Skarsgård. <laughs> sometimes it feels like that. And it definitely for a writer makes it where you can, you can see yourself writing forever and never getting to all the stories. It's just, yeah, definitely. yeah, especially with yeah. psychological stuff. People do creepy, creepy shit. Yeah, there's plenty to write about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to going back and picking up the gift and the surrogate. You've sold me on those two for sure. And for you guys out there um, that haven't picked up a copy yet, I got mine in ebook form. Um, is it, uh, Ebook and hardback in the U.S. I would guess right now. Is there an audio as well? Paperback and audio. Paperback and audio. So you can have any version you want. Go up and pick a copy if you'd like to stay up late a night or two, a little bit worried um, about the people around you. Because the last thing I'll say is thematically what this book said to me was you can't trust anybody. That's that's what I took as the theme of this book. What did you feel like the theme of this book was? Yeah, I had that actually on a post-it note on my computer screen was don't trust anybody. And every time I'd look at it and think, yeah. <laughs> it worked. Yeah. <laughs> it worked because I, I ended the book and I thought, don't trust anybody. Yeah. Don't <laughs> well, thank you guys all for being on the show with me today. This is the point in the show where I have to say this is a copyrighted production solely owned by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network with many thanks to Uber producer and goddess Pam Stack, who makes <laughs> all of these shows possible. For those of you that were here um, from the very beginning, um, I, you have, have heard this spiel, but I want to repeat it. Go out to my website, PamelaFaganHutchins.com, and look up the upcoming shows. See if you can't get a copy of the books that we'll be reading and talking about with the authors. It makes it oh so much more fun. And you can also um, pick up past shows or find out some uh, interesting books that I have written that you can pick up as well. And this has been a lovely time with Louise Jensen, who um, who wrote The Date. Louise, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was lovely. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And the rest of you out there, you go out and have a great week. And I'll see you next time with Abigail Drake and Love Chocolate and a Dog Named Al Capone. <laughs>